Hey guys, welcome to Maple Crest Church. This is a place where, together, we'll be diving into topics like who Jesus is, what he wants for us, and how to live it out in today's world. We hope it serves you well in your journey and gives you life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your family. Okay, let's get into the message. Today we're talking about Revelation. Uh, we have a Revelation series happening in our church, and we're excited about that. And we, every once in a while we take a little break from it, but today we're continuing it. And the purpose of us getting into Revelation, the purpose of us uh, talking about this book, which is often kind of ignored or uh, kind of wondered about, is the purpose that we're going into at this time is in order to understand Jesus, in order to reveal his heart. Because uh, there's just so much in this book about who Jesus is, and it's often kind of magnified. Like you can really see who Jesus is in Revelation because everything is pumped up and bigger and just uh, uh, so much easier to see what his intentions are as he does big things and as the conflict gets bigger and more dramatic, maybe that's a good word, as everything becomes more dramatic, his heart becomes more obvious and that's exciting. And today we want to talk about Revelation 21. We're kind of skipping around in Revelation a little bit, trying to kind of follow where God is inspiring. And uh, Revelation 21 is talking about New Jerusalem and talking about heaven and what heaven is going to look like. And uh, I'll read our kind of main passage here, Revelation 21, verse 1 to 2. I saw a new heaven and new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And uh, verse 2, skipping a little bit, it says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So this new heaven, new earth, and this new holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. So Father, uh, we just pray that you would reveal yourself to us. We want to, you want us to know who you are. You want us to see your heart and your motivation and your intentions and your personality. And Father, I thank you for these passages. And I pray that you would help us to understand you better through them. And just bless us, bless us as we hear. Let it just soak into us and help it to be encouraging for us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so there's a couple points I want to make about uh, this passage, about the realities of heaven. Uh, there's a couple points I want to make, just kind of as a foundation as we go forward. And so I'm going to go through them pretty quickly, even though they're really big topics. So the first thing is a new heaven and new earth. Um, so the, the earth is going to be remade. Now, some people say, like, will it be destroyed and completely remade or are we talking about like a renovation where we have the shell and it's kind of renovated and you know some of these things are a little unclear on exactly how this is going to happen but we're going to have a new earth a new earth and a new heaven and um, I've seen it kind of uh, talked about both ways where this is like a new heavens like a new you know the atmosphere is made new not just the earth but the atmosphere around us and potentially the stars and the galaxies and you know the heavens around us are going to be made new and I've also heard it talked about where it's kind of heaven, like a new heaven where God dwells, like that will be made new. I actually kind of favor a little bit the, uh, you know, that it's actually going to be the atmosphere that's made new and it's going to be the galaxies that are made new. Um, and, but what's, what's clear from this is that it's new and that it's not just that the earth is going to be destroyed and that everybody's going to be living in a different place, like in the heaven uh, where God dwells now. We're not going to be there. We're going to be, there's still going to be a purpose for earth and it's going to be reformed, renovated, recreated, something's going to happen to it. It's still going to exist moving forward. And that's something that's often kind of shocking to people that this is something that continues on um, and is made new. Okay, so that's really important. 
And that's right in this first verse here, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And the sea was no more. So it's going to be potentially more land happening around. Um, I, I prefer when I'm going through the book of Revelation to when I can, when the Bible isn't telling us, when the book isn't telling us to interpret things figuratively or symbolically, I, I interpret it literally. And when it tells you to interpret it figuratively, that's when I interpret it uh, figuratively. So just so you know, and normally when there's a figurative thing that's given in the book of Revelation, there's actually an explanation of what that means. Um, and I find that this is kind of a much, uh, a much more helpful way of interpreting Revelation, I believe more accurate. So this is actually a new earth, in my opinion, this is actually a new heavens around the earth. And um, so it continues on, it's worth renewing. The earth was part of God's perfect plan. We have to remember that the earth wasn't always corrupt. He actually made it and it was good. He called it good. And so it's important to realize that the earth isn't, that everything physical isn't bad. He created the physical. He loved the physical. He thought the physical was a good idea. Now, the second point here that I want to make again fairly quickly, just to kind of set up the foundation of what we're talking about, is that heaven is actually coming down to earth. So we typically think about this as us going up to heaven, and it's probably because of, uh, you know, when people die, we are thinking of them going up to heaven, which is, I believe, true. We go up to heaven, um, you know, for the time being, but the reality is that in the end, heaven comes down to earth. Heaven, the new Jerusalem comes down. And um, we, we can look at a little bit later, Revelation 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And new Jerusalem is actually coming down to earth. So we have a new earth. We have heaven coming down. And so things will be re remade, recreated. And... So this isn't going away. We're not going to escape from what's happening here on the earth. In some ways we will, things are going to be made new, but we're not going to a different place. The earth is important and it's part of God's plan. Uh, we're not in a kind of escape strategy. We are in a recreating strategy. We are in a kind of learning how to do this well strategy. And there's lots to say about that and how that works and where the millennial kingdom fits into that and different things. And, and maybe we'll get into that as we go through this. But the main thing I want to say is that we're here. We're here for, for eternity. And that might be discouraging to people who have been really thinking about getting away. <laughs> like, boy, I got to get out of here. Um, so this might be a little bit jarring and maybe even discouraging, but you have to remember it's going to be different. And uh, he's actually coming to dwell with us. So it's not like we're not going to be with God. That separation that we feel right now, that, uh, you know, where we have to have faith and all of those things, those things are temporary. And we are actually going to be able to have God living with us on the earth like it was in the Garden of Eden. And that was his plan and that's what he's getting back to. Now, one of the ways that we can understand a person or understand people is by their home. Now, first thing is we can understand entire cultures by this. I've had some privilege in my life to be able to travel and see different places. And when I go to different places, I've noticed very clearly that they look different, the physical, uh, realities that people build are different depending on the culture and the time that they were built in. So for example, you know, I've been to, you know, large American cities. I've been to, you know, places in, let's say, Italy with classical kind of construction. And then I've also been to Eastern European countries where, uh, you know, where it was built during communism. And they're very different in the way that they look, in the way that they feel, in the type of construction. 
When you go to a place like, like I've been to Rome, beautiful place, and I, and I spent some time there, um, and it was, it was gorgeous. And everything, I don't know if the overbuilt is the way, but it's like everything was built with such care and intricacy. And so much time was spent on, on every little piece of it in, in artistry. And so it's like, it's gorgeous. And so much time and effort has been put into those details in a way that's kind of unnecessary. Like when you think about it in terms of its function, it's just kind of over the top in terms of the, the, the styling. And, and it has this result where it's gorgeous and has stood for a very long time. Uh, it, it kind of lasts thousands of years in these forms and it still remains beautiful after all that time. And then maybe the other extreme was going to, you know, a country built under communism, going to a city that was built under communism and seeing that the buildings there were built uh, for function. They were built, you know, square and drab in a sense. They, they, it looks, it has this feeling of drab. Maybe it looked a little different in the beginning, but it kind of wears because it was built quickly and, and for low cost and, and it was built all the same. And so they're kind of like square and like cookie cutter type things with no decoration. And uh, it was built for function. It was built in order to just be a home, be a place where people can live. And, and it was built equally, like everybody has the same uh, and kind of at the same level and just functional. And, and also wearing out more quickly, like it was built um, in a way that was uh, where, where these things kind of start to fall apart quicker, not lasting thousands of years. And what can you tell by these different cultures that built these things from the construction of their homes, you can tell something about what they believe. You can tell something about the character of that culture at that time. I'm not saying that they're good or bad. I mean, we could get into that, but just saying that they're quite different. People build different things depending on their beliefs and their character. Now, this is also true when people have resources. Like it's true for everybody. If you go to anybody's home, you can kind of have a, an, a sense of who they are just from looking at their house, looking at where they're dwelling. Um, but I find this is even more true when people have a ton of money. When people have a lot of money, they shape their home based on their own personality. When people don't have as much money, they still kind of, you know, tint it or color it in terms of their personality. But oftentimes they want it to be liked by everybody so they can sell it again and not lose their money. They're concerned about the finances. And so they build it in, they, they decorate it in a way, at least foundationally, like they, they pick a paint that they feel like everybody's going to like so that when they sell the home, it is something that can get more value or something like that. And when you go to a wealthy home, they don't care about that as much. They just want something that they're going to like. And oftentimes they can take a few tries at it, even if they mess up. So they, they might build it and they're like, I don't like that. So they rebuild it. And then they may, I don't like that still. And they rebuild it again. So they really get something in the end that not just they thought was going to reflect their personality, but actually reflects their personality in the end. This is, and in the end, they can say, this is really who I am. This really reflects my taste and, and what I like and what I don't like. And so when you have people with a lot of money, they are able to shape the world in their own character. And you can tell more of who they are. And oftentimes it goes off a little bit. If you look at the at homes in a more like, uh, you know, average income area, they're all fairly similar. And they all, in that way, they kind of all have their own appeal. But if you look at wealthy homes, they can be really divergent. You go into some of these places and they have their own look that you may never have seen before. And it can be quite extraordinary and sometimes very, off-putting like it can be kind of like whoa what was this person's taste and you can really see who they are well god is wealthy beyond wealthy beyond wealthy and he is able to create a home for himself that perfectly reflects his personality 
He's not creating this for somebody else. He's not limited by finances. He's not trying to resell it in the future. He is able to create something that reflects his personality. Romans 1.20 says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So this is making a particular point about you know people having a certain level of revelation of God just by living in the world. So they're without excuse. But if you look at this, the point is that they can see God in his creation because he is so wealthy, he is so powerful that he is able to display himself in his creation. He's able to display his character. His eternal power and divine nature are clearly perceived in nature. So we can study nature. We can look at the intricacies of it. We can look at the broad scope and we can kind of see more and more about God. And I believe as a psychologist, when I'm studying people, I'm studying his creation and I can understand more of God by understanding the motivations and character and, and the ways of people and the way that they're made and how they function. And so we can actually study God by studying all of his creation. And that in some ways would reflect uh, kind of observation and, and all of these things about science. Obviously, there's there's things about that that I disagree with, but that idea that we can observe God and be wowed and, and learn more about him is so true. And I believe it's also true, not just for his creation here, but for the creation that he's making or has made or wherever he's at with it in heaven. And the new Jerusalem in particular is described and we can understand him and his character, which is the point. We're studying Revelation so that we can understand Jesus. We can understand him from his creation. We can understand him from the creation that's already been made, but we can understand him in Revelation from the creation that he's making and what he thinks is important in that creation. And that's what we want. We want to understand him. We want to understand the mind of God. And that's why he tells us about it. Why would he tell us about a building? Why would he tell us about a city? You would think like if, if you're trying to wow somebody and try to help them understand, you wouldn't necessarily just show them a city, but he does he, because it, show, it says so much about who he is. So when you look at New Jerusalem, this picture is of his love. And you've actually probably, if you've been a Christian, you know, for, you know, some time, you may have actually already been encouraged by God's love by thinking about his city without even realizing it may be in full. I'll read you a passage that people are pretty familiar with. This is John 14, verse 1 to 3. This is Jesus speaking, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. This is going to comfort you. Don't be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house, in this city, in the, I'm adding this city, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I not, would I have told you that I, uh, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. So he's going to prepare this place and he's saying it to comfort us. And you have probably, my guess is that many of you, if not most of you, have read this passage and been comforted and said, oh, he's going to prepare a place for me. I am encouraged that he hasn't forgotten about me, that he's actually making this home for me and I can look forward to it. And we normally leave it there, this vague sense of this perfect place. And we let our imaginations do the rest. And that for many Christians has become kind of a peaceful place, this, this imagined world of where we are and of where we'll be with God. And that's great. I don't want to take that away from you at all. And, and 
let me tell you that even once you've studied this, there's still room for your imagination and, and there's still lots of uh, you know, unclarity and mystery around what this is actually going to look like. But if you've gotten comfort from the idea that he has a home, I believe you can also be comforted by learning more about what that home actually looks like. We don't just have to look at the things that he's done. We can look at the things that he's doing, like this home that he's building. And there's actually a number of details about this home that he's building for us that tell us about what this experience is going to be like. And I, for one, have been encouraged as I've studied this and kind of pictured as accurately as I can what this home will actually look like and what, this, what these rooms will look like. And it, and it encourages me, even though there's a little bit of a gap there where you kind of have to jump where it's like, oh, you know, it's like it's going to be real. And sometimes that causes some kind of turmoil. It's like it's going to be physical and it's going to be on earth. And some of those parts can be kind of initially upsetting. But stick with me because it's actually comforting to actually know more about God. We don't, if we don't have to use our imaginations, let's not. Let's actually know what he's saying. We are not forgotten. He wants to show us our heart. Now, one of the things that he says about this city, Revelation 21, verse 2, and I saw a holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, this city is actually called a bride at one point. I'm not going to get into that part of how this city itself has a bridal identity, even though that's really interesting. And, but here it's not saying that it's a bride. You could maybe take it that way, and that's true. It says it lay again later. But it's prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So what I'm taking from it from this passage is that, well, how does a bride prepare? When you think about a bride preparing on her wedding day for her wedding, how does she prepare? Well, one of the points about this, one of the main point I'm trying to make here is that she prepares extravagantly. Every detail is taken care of. When we, and this is kind of like, I'm preparing a place for you. When you think, like, what would Jesus prepare? Why does it, I mean, I don't even know if it does take time for him to do this. I don't know how God works in those ways, but it's kind of like this idea, like, I'm going to go and I'm going to work at it for you. Like, I'm, and if you think about God actually having to work at something, or if he's giving that impression where he's going to, like, prepare this for you, and then you think about this idea that it's being adorned like a bride, it's this, the details are going to be taken care of. The, the extravagance is going to be taken care of. This is the way that God would build for us. It's a sign of his love for us. It's like a wedding gift. It's like, I'm going to give you this thing that actually, in the end, looks like a diamond. I'm going to give you this diamond and it's going to be so beautiful and every detail is going to be extravagant and built especially with you in mind. God wants to keep you in mind as he's building. He's not just building a home for him. He's building a home for you. And I, I think that's so beautiful there's this relational aspect as he's talking about this. He talks about it in two ways. He talks about it relationally, how this city is a relational item, a relational reality, and how it's a sign of his love, like a wedding present, and how it's also kind of has some function. Now, one of the things that's interesting about the function of this city is that it, it kind of takes two different places that we already know about and pushes them together. One we're more familiar with, one we're less familiar with. Now, the first one is the Garden of Eden. Now, when you think about this city, you don't normally think about a city as being a garden, but it is. This city is, has aspects to it that are like the Garden of Eden. Now, one of the places where God dwelt with man was the Garden of Eden. So it takes that reality. God built that. 
and built that for him to dwell with us. And that reality is going to be there. He's not giving up on the garden. It's not like the garden, he's forgotten about it. He liked the garden and the garden is going to be remade. We're going to have another opportunity to walk with him in the garden. So that's there in this city, kind of put together with another place, which is the Holy of Holies, the second place where God really dwelt with man. Of course, there's Jesus who came as a human, and but I'm talking about dwelt within his glory is the Holy of Holies in the temple, which is a, a little square, 15 feet by 15 feet by 15 feet. It's this little square in the center of the temple. Uh, and in that square, God comes with his Shekinah glory to the point where it kills people, which is why we can't do this right now. We can't, we can't, or they couldn't do this. I mean, the, the, the veil's been torn. There's all kinds of realities about that. But there was, a, there was a reality there where it would kill people, his glory. And, and it was a square. It was this little tiny square. And the people would send the high priest in who represented the nation. It was one person who had a rope around them. And, and because they might die in there and have to get pulled out. Like there was this one person who could go into this little room, 15 by 15 by 15 feet, in order to meet with God. And that's the second place in the Bible where we see the glory of God kind of being this dwelling place with people. And that is also in this city. This holy of holies is also represented in this city. So it's kind of like these two realities that have been there that have been these shadows of things to come. These kind of look at what I'm doing with you and I'm going to take these realities and I'm going to give it back to you in the end. And you're going to be in the holy of holies. You're going to be in the garden with me forever. You're going to be in my glory. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about this home now. I've set it up where it's like we can learn about God from this home. We can learn about him from the what he's built. And there's this relational aspect to it. And there's this function to it. So encouraging. Now, one is that this city has the dimensions that are similar to the Holy of Holies. That's how we kind of know that there's a connection there. Now, it says, you know, the width and the depth and the height are all the same for this city. So it's just as high as it is wide as it is deep. Now, that actually could still be a pyramid. It could still have a little bit of a different shape than a square. Now, I favor the square uh, interpretation of that similarity. One, because it doesn't give us any more dimensions. It doesn't specify that it's a pyramid. It just kind of gives us those dimensions. And because the Holy of Holies is a square. And so I believe that he's kind of capturing that idea. So I just want to let you know when I'm kind of where the leaps are that I'm taking here a little bit, the steps of, of uh, my own understanding kind of intervening here. So you know, if he wants to make it a pyramid, he can do so. I think it's a cube, though. I think that it's a cube, which isn't a really a shape that I think people get really excited about. Like, it's like, oh, it's a cube. But I believe it's this... Uh, kind of reflection of this holy of holies that he's created in order to let us know like we are going to be in the glory we are all going to have this this priestly privilege of walking into the holy holy so if you've ever read that passage in the temple and be like what would it have been like to have walked into the holy of holies when the shekinah of glory of god came down now we can have that now god can do that with us because the veil's been torn and we can actually walk in that. But there's going to be, I think, another dimension of that as we walk into the city. We're going to be walking into this big cube, this holy of holies, 
And we're going to have, have this function as we minister before the Lord like this high priest did. But that was just a shadow of what this is really going to be like in this huge, huge city. I could talk about the size of the city. I'm not going to, at least not today. I might do that next time. This site, the city is huge. I'll just say that this time. Now, on the, when the high priest goes in to the Holy of Holies, he's wearing this breastplate that has all of these gems on it, has all of these uh, you know, different precious uh, gems, and they represent different things. They basically represent the 12 tribes of Israel. So he's, the, the priest is representing everybody. And they're right next to his heart. It's like it's right here as he walks in to the Holy of Holies. And when you look at... Uh, when you look at this city, it actually has gems in it. So it's kind of this uh, picture of these gems that the priest had kind of reflected in the city. Now, eight of the gems are actually the exact same gems. So there's kind of a, you know, I don't know if it's just this reflection, if it's going to be better, or if maybe we misunderstood the gems, or or what's exactly happening here. But there's the eight gems are the exact same. And you can see these gems placed in the city in these kind of foundational places. So this is again kind of this picture of the Holy of Holies. These gems are inside the city as they are inside the Holy of Holies. So as the priest goes into the Holy of Holies, these gems represent the people. And as we walk into the city, there's going to be these gems representing the people. And the city is built on the people. That, that's kind of another theme is that this city is a relational thing. It's not just a, a construction for the people. It has these elements of the people that kind of are almost part of its building. Like it's built upon the apostles. It's kind of, as you go into it, it's just interesting to see how it's a relational city. We have in some ways been the city. So our relationship with the city is really interesting. Anyway, there's, there's these kind of references to the Holy of Holies. And we're going to be able to do that. The next one I want to talk about is the garden and talk about how that works a little bit. Again, I'm just touching on this. I'd encourage you to look into it more, more and more because it's so fascinating as you do. So it has a garden in it, Revelation 22. So we're skipping a little bit here to Revelation 22 rather than where we've been, which is Revelation 21. And the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit in each month. The leaves of the tree were there for the healing of the nations. So there's this river kind of running through the street of the city, and there's these trees, including the tree of life. This is such a symbol of the Garden of Eden. In the midst of the city, there is this garden. Now, and when we had the Garden of Eden, it was just the beginning. It was just the beginning. There was just a couple people, and uh, I don't know exactly how quickly, but it was pretty quick that, you know, the people had to leave. And so I don't know what the garden would have become. If the garden had been allowed to exist and there hadn't been sin, what, the, what would have happened as the people had multiplied in this garden? I'm not sure. I mean, I can't imagine what it would have been like to be able to commune with God, walk with him around and say, hey, God, I got a few more family, kids around here. We've got more grandkids. You know, what is this going to look like? And God might have said, hey, I've got a whole plan. I've got a whole plan on how we're going to build this together. What would have happened if we had been able to walk with God for generations? as a people. And I believe that in some ways this might actually be a reflection of the new Jerusalem may actually be the original Jerusalem. The, the new Jerusalem might be a picture of what God was intending in his heart from the beginning on what he wanted to do with his people in that garden and how it would eventually potentially become a city. I don't think, I think it's very possible 
that God is actually taking us to where we would have been. He is, he's not losing anything on his original plan. He's, I kind of feel like he's saying, I'm not going to give up on any of my plans because of the sin that's been in the world. I'm going to have my heart's desire. And this has been my heart's desire from the beginning. Incorrupted earth and a garden where I can walk with my people more developed over time so that I can have hundreds and thousands and millions of people walking with me in this place, in this garden. And it will heal the nations. So I, I believe that this is that fulfillment of what God wants to do. And I think he does this in our lives a lot of the time. I feel like he will often not just take us to a place where it's like, ah, you know, like this is where you can go. But it's like, I want to give you everything I have in my heart for you. Let me give you everything. Even though you've messed up, I'm going to take you quickly to where you were supposed to be if you'd never made that mistake. I don't think that always happens for people, but I believe that that's something that he has for us, where he wants to, to bring us back to where we would have been if there had been no sin. And I believe that he's going to do that with all of us. In the end, he's going to have his way with us, and he's going to bring us to a place where we are that image of what he had for us. Okay, and here's the biggest one. There's a lot of points about the city that I'm not covering, but I wanted to talk about just a few of the big ones to give you a little bit of an idea of what God's character is like and how it's reflected in this city. And that is that this city contains God's glory. Now, I hinted at that before. I talked about that before. We were talking about the Holy of Holies. Revelation 21, verse 10 and 11. The Holy Jerusalem descended out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. So if you look up jasper, you might see something that doesn't look like a crystal, but an ancient jasper was like crystal. At least this jasper is like crystal. Maybe I'll put it that way. And so just imagine this, a kind of diamond, like a clear, precious stone reflecting God's light. And this is actually how the Father is pictured in Revelation 4. Revelation 4 verse 3 says, And he who sat there, Father, had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. So this was kind of the picture of the Father is this jasper. His glory in heaven as he's sitting on his throne is this jasper stone mixed with some carnelian. And this idea of him and his glory, it's going to be just like in your, like maybe, I don't know if it's just like, but similar. This, this glory is going to come down and actually be on the earth. So if you're like, oh, I want to go to Revelation 4, I want to go to that throne, and it's like, that's great, and we can go there, we can pray for that, we can pray for it. We can pray for that to go and see his glory and experience that more and more. And I believe in the end, we will all be able, we will all be living in a Revelation 4 reality. We are all going to be living, that's going to be our home, is going to be a city. So he's sitting on this throne, and he has the appearance of Jasper, Imagine walking into that, like not just even from a distance on a lake of fire, but like actually walking into that because the city is going to be this Jasper. We're walking into God. We're going to live inside of him in some way. Like I believe that that's kind of the part of the message here is that we're actually going to be in God, in his glory, potentially even more so than that Revelation 4 
you know, throne room, because we're actually walking into this Jasper city. It has this appearance. This glory of God is going to be residing in this. There's not going to be any night. It's just going to be lit up with the glory of God. And that's going to be where we make our house. It's like you can look out the window. It's like, oh, I got a good view. Do you? Because you could have the throne room as a window. You could have the throne room, like your door opens into the, to the glory of God. Maybe your door is made of crystal or something, and you can actually have it flooding into your bedroom all night. And you're actually just residing there like one of the four living creatures. Just like, I'm going to, I don't even know if you do sleep, but like, I'm just reclining here in the glory of God, like a four living, like one of the four living creatures. This is my house. My apartment kind of looks out into the glory of the Father. And the glory fills the entire city. It's just reflected out into everyone. So what is the character of God? What can we learn from just some of these initial, you know, just touches of the city that we're actually going to be living in? What can we learn from that? I believe that we can learn that he loves us so much that he wants to live with us. He's creating a home that isn't like, okay, you guys go live over there and I'm going to live over here. You can come to heaven, but heaven's a big place and you have to go live pretty far away. You can come visit me. He's building a home inside of his glory for us to live in. What does he want? He wants us to be in him. He wants us to be in his glory, in the, in the light of himself for eternity. He wants it to be a building that's a relationship. He wants it to be a building that's built by his people, reflected in these gems. It's like this memorial, like we're living in this memorial of what people have done. And we're living in this memorial of how God has reshaped that into these precious, precious gems. And we're sitting there kind of looking at how much he loves us all day. As we walk in the garden, it's like, I will make all things new. Nothing will be wasted for my people. It's this picture of love. It's this huge love letter. An ability to be close to him. I feel like it's going to be... But the, the, the feeling that I get as a human is like, whoa, it's overwhelming. It's like all the time, like I almost, as a human, it's like, boy, I'd like a little bit of like privacy. I'd like just a little bit of time off to myself. Like I don't want to have to live in the glory all day. It's like, I want just a little bit of time to myself. But I know that when I get there, we are going to have this new ability just to kind of have the electricity of God, you know, flowing through us without us, you know, breaking. Without the discomfort or the need for relief. We're not going to need the relief. We're not going to need the escape. We're going to be able to just reside in this glory all the time. And it's like, well, will the pleasure every, when we're on earth, the pleasure comes and the pleasure goes. The pain comes and the pain goes. Our bodies are made to kind of pulsate with the feelings that we have. I believe in heaven, it's going to be this, maybe there's pulsing like a greater and lesser. It seems that way in some ways, but I believe that we're going to be able to just experience pleasures. Like people will say, it's like, oh, won't it be boring to be there all the time? God created pleasure. He knows how to make it. He knows how to make it eternal. So if you wanted to go to a place where it's like, well, I want pleasure to last forever. Don't try to do that in a body. God's the one who made pleasure. He can make pleasure 
not eventually be boring. He can make it eternal. He's going to be radiating through us. That's the city that we're going to be in. So when he says a home, I, I feel like when I didn't know about this, when I pictured a home, I pictured an earthly home. I pictured kind of a big house, you know, maybe with some things that I like. It's like God knows my likes and dislikes. He knows that I like a fireplace or something like this. And he knows that I like, you know, what kind of chocolate bar I like. He knows all these things about me. So he's going to make a home like that. And that's where I think we get this picture of it eventually being born because it's so earthly. I think when you think, I want you to imagine as close as you can, what it would be like to live inside of the glory of God. And you're not going to be able to, but you know, it's going to be different. And that is encouraging. It can be odd to think of the physicality of heaven. We, we have so long wanted to get away from the physicality. It's kind of a Greek thing to like think about earth and to think about our bodies as being less than and, and for our souls and spirits to be better than. But God created the physical. He's going to redeem it. He's going to make it the way it's supposed to be. And the more I learn about this reality that we're going to be in and the comings and goings of how heaven will operate and look and the little that we can know about it, but still substantially more than most do, the more I feel like this is not going to be boring. The more I feel like this is going to be a challenging, growing, beautiful place filled with these pleasures we can't even imagine. But we have these pictures of how that might work. And I love this idea, like honestly, people look at the book of Revelation and it's scary. And I have to say that where I'm standing now and as I watch kind of where the world is going and some of the realities that we may be facing and, you know, one decade, two decades, three decades, as my, think about what my kids are going to be facing on this earth. I sometimes wonder, how in the world are we even going to survive this? How will we survive at all? And Revelation, even with all of its troubles that it talks about, actually is somewhat comforting now, where it's like, that sounds better than what I'm imagining might happen on the earth. It's like, yeah, a lot of people end up having a bad time, but we actually make it. We aren't completely destroyed. God is there and he's going to measure it and he's going to make time limits on it and he's going to make it so that it's not too much. It's just enough to produce as much love as he can get. He's going to be the perfect leader helping people to love him and bring out the most love and destroy everything that gets in the way of that love. And as we think about earth coming down, that's why... We are supposed to work to create it now. We're supposed to actually bring heaven to earth. Thy kingdom come. This is the, we're supposed to be reflecting this picture of bringing earth, bringing heaven down to earth because that's the will of God. It's not like we're going to bring heaven down to earth and then we're going to destroy it all and go to heaven. We're bringing heaven down to earth because that is a foreshadowing of what he will eventually do in fullness under his leadership. And he's already starting. And I believe that as a church, we can pray and we can begin to experience heaven on earth now. I believe as a church and as a people, each one of you can go and spend in, like time just communing with God and that he can show you glimpses of heaven. I believe that. People in the Bible did that. They saw heaven. They saw these heavenly realities. I believe that he has that for you. I believe that he can give you glimpses of that. I don't have the timing. I don't know in the measure. But I believe that you can experience God's heart in levels and measures that, you know, a human frame can take similarly in, in quality, potentially, in some levels of quality of what you can actually experience in that city, in his heart. I believe that he has that and he wants to give that to you. 
So God has this wonderful plan and he's preparing a home. And we don't have to just imagine it. We can actually have more details about what that home will look like. And it's amazing how much you can learn about somebody from what they build, especially when they can build whatever they want. And in this city, God has built with this extravagance, with this detail, and it's relationship-oriented. He wants to be with us and live in his glory. We will never have to be apart from him. I, can, I can't imagine what it'll be like. It's There will be God and no night. There will be no away. There will be just him and you. Father, thank you. Thank you for the glory that you've given us, this glorious picture that you've given us, this glory that you've given to us already and the glory that you want to bring down for us. Lord, I just am so looking forward to seeing, I don't know which perspective I'm going to have, but seeing the new Jerusalem coming down, seeing that beautiful city coming down and then seeing, just like the holies of holies, seeing your throne your presence, Jesus saying, now, Lord, and your, your, your spirit enters into this beautiful city, radiating over a new earth, and then going and finding out where my apartment is, finding out where my home is in that city, walking into your glory. Father, encourage us. We are, our home is the earth, but it's not the way it is now. Help us, Lord, to... Bring your heavenly realities to, into our hearts and into the people around us. Help us, Lord, to help people to see how much they're loved and the beautiful, detailed plans that you have for them. Amen.